Warning, the following episode may contain explicit language as well as descriptions and passing of surgical procedures. We're not going to be all that graphic, but still, you should just be aware. In the year 1767, Dr. John Aitken is working on his next invention in his workshop in Edinburgh, Scotland. Dr. Aitken, are you here? Oh, there you are. I have to admit, I don't like bothering you in here. It's no bother. Come in. Are you sure? I don't have to come down these stairs if you don't want me to. I can hear you from up here. Look, as my new assistant, you must be get used to coming up to my laboratory. I spend a fair amount of time in here and so shall you. Oh, fair enough. It's just... To be honest, it's really creepy down there. Why did you set up your laboratory down in the stone basement of this place? It's damp. Cold. And you've got frightening implements and prototypes strewn about. Nonsense. The dampness helps focus my mind on the work of inventing. I'm working on my next invention now, as a matter of fact. Ah, so it seems. I feel somewhat obliged to ask what it is you're working on. I'm trying to develop a device to solve the issue of difficult childbirth. Well, that sounds noble enough. Unfortunately, many women undergo difficult labor. Often this results in the death of the mother and the child if we cannot help deliver the baby in time. Oh, interesting. So it's not uncommon for the baby's shoulder to get caught in the pelvic bones, making it difficult, if not impossible, to deliver the baby in the traditional manner. Oh, well, I see. I've, I've heard of the cesarean procedure where they remove the baby by way of surgery. That's nonsense. I'm not about to go meddling in the process of childbirth in such an unnatural way. Well, what are you proposing instead? That's the problem of physics, really. The baby gets stuck on its path down the birth canal, right? I suppose so. So if the path is too narrow, we might need to widen it a bit. Wait. Oh, what are you saying? Widen? Widen the, the mother? No, no, not exactly. Oh, oof. that sounded like it was going to be rather brutal. We'll widen her pelvis. I, you'll do what now? Is that not part of the mother? You see, I've made the saw. You crank it by hand down here and the chain moves and can cut through the pubic bone to widen the pelvic outlet. There you go. Physics problem solved. Ugh, that sounds awful. Just dreadful. How on earth is that less unnatural than a surgical procedure to remove the wee bairn and leave the mother's pelvis intact? There are many cultures that have adopted the cesarean procedure. Surely that could be refined. It must be this way. I made the saw already. Ugh. Is everything in this horrific laboratory similarly brutal? Well, no. I did invent a tool to help ease the child's passage down the birth canal under different circumstances. It delivers the baby gently when the mother needs a little assistance. What, those? Those large metal scoops are gentle? Those metal scoops are forceps, and yes, they're surprisingly gentle, I assure you. There's nothing gentle about the natural process of childbirth, to be fair, I'll have you know. It is a battle between the mother, the child, and the doctor. It has waged for centuries and millennia. I am devising weaponry for the new era. I'm a wee bit concerned that you don't have the healthiest view of this whole process. I don't know that it's my place to criticize as your assistant, but this whole lab is filled with implements of violence that seem to be directed at the concept of childbirth. What I'm saying is that I think you need to talk to someone. I don't know that this is necessarily all that healthy. Are you here to assist or to criticize? More of the former, please, and less of the latter, if you will. All right, fine. 
By the way, your mother sent another letter? She. I don't want to talk about my mother. Oh, big surprise there. Excuse me? Oh, nothing. Nothing at all. Welcome, everyone. This is Poor Historians, the podcast delving into the archives of medical history. As three practicing emergency physicians, we will explore the unusual ailments, treatments, physicians, and all related material having to do with the healing arts. I'm Max, and I'm joined here by my good friends and colleagues, Aaron and Mike. Gentlemen, are you ready to ruin the cheerful image of one of our favorite outdoor tools? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although, mm-hmm. I can't I'm wait. already scared of chainsaws myself just because I've seen so many can't accidents. Give it away. What if they didn't read the title of this edit, episode? Edit, edit, just edit that. Yeah, just, no, it's too late. It's in the universe. <laughs> it's just... But truly, Aaron, I feel the same way. Every single time I use like a sawzall or a chainsaw, I'm convinced that I'm going to either cut my toes or my fingers off. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, I'm going to go with the scariest saw that I own is my table saw. Oh, yeah. Yeah, table yeah. saws are scary too. Kickbacks, you know. Do you, do you have the one that stops when it tries to cut hot dogs and stuff? I don't believe so. There's no way. I have a very budget model. What you want is a budget model table saw, and that's what I have. <laughs> that's where you really skimp. Anyway, as long as you use the sawzall as directed and not the way some people use it, I think you should be fine. Yeah, still, I still think about it every single time. And then I'm convinced that like it's going to kick back and I'm going to cut myself and I won't know it until I take my glove off and there'll be blood everywhere. <laughs> Just a little. Well, at least you know where to go when you need help. Mm. My therapist. So as far as shout-outs go... I have to say, uh, I have to ask, did you guys realize that pretty much every medical professional has their own week of appreciation? So this would, in fact, include our very valuable cardiovascular techs who, in our department at least, are instrumental in getting our EKGs and bringing them to us to alert us of anything abnormal going on. But that week for them actually doesn't happen until February. The 13th through the 19th, just in case you're, you're wondering, that is cardiovascular professional. They get, they get Valentine's Day. Week. That's so appropriate. That's... That is true. But <laughs> the likelihood is that we are going to absolutely forget it by that point. And yeah. so I wanted to take a little bit of a, a side to thank our contender for number one super fan, Patrick, from the cardiovascular department at our hospital. He has been there with us since day one. and even though I almost saw him get into a fist fight with our pharmacist over who was a bigger fan of the show. <laughs> I wanted to make sure that he knew we appreciated his support. And I'm not going to say who is the number one super fan. They'll just have to prove it. And one we, way or the other. I will say too, also appreciate everything he does for us like professionally as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it is a great job. He was really mean to me the other day. He probably deserved it. I did. <laughs> but yeah, before a, we get started, side. We'll take a moment to remind everyone that this podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to provide any medical advice. It exists only to entertain. You get no continuing medical education from us. 
So with that being said, let us go to the topic at hand. What you got, Mike? All right. So this is going to be the history of the chainsaw. And um, so this went viral probably, I think it was November 2020. There was a bunch of articles written about it. Um, the thing I think that made it go viral was this TikTok video. Apparently there's a, do you say the at before on TikTok or anything? What's a TikTok? It's a, it's a thing. Uh, the <laughs> government's used to steal your data. <laughs> uh, I don't think you I, would. I don't you think you either would. Either at or you at. Ha- I can at and hashtag. I can't do anything beyond that. Okay. Yeah. So I think at, hello, my name is, or hello, my name's John. So he put out this little thing. It looks like he does these little snippets of like inter- interesting information. So he do, did one about the origin of the chainsaw. He kind of, he missed it a little bit. I mean, he got the big picture, right? So I just kind of did a deeper dive. So I found out about this from Eliza and Jason. So another shout out to those two. They said that it's something that they wanted to hear us cover. So essentially, I don't think he ever mentioned his name, but the the TikTok video, it said that there was a Scottish surgeon who was most likely an early obstetrician who invented the chainsaw. It was invented for a specific purpose. It turns out later, that's probably not 100% true or accurate. Um, hmm. but so Dr. John Aitken, um, Scottish surgeon, graduated in 1763, just to kind of get an idea of the time. That was a while ago. Yeah. He was studying the theory and practice of medicine in midwifery, or is it midwifery? Wifery, I, I wifery, believe. Wifery, definitely wifery. wifery. <laughs> All right. So no listed birth date, <laughs> no listed birth date, uh, but died in 1790. Okay. So the, he was responsible for two big changes in surgery, but really obstetrics. Um, he invented the locking midwifery forceps. And there's a quote here. It says, to render the matter easier for the practitioner and more safe for the mother and child of childbirth. I don't know if before they had not locking forceps. Well, I are they, I remember on my OB rotation that they had mentioned that like you bring these two giant salad tongs medical salad tongs out and then you can clip them together but they could be unhinged pretty easily and i is do you know is it the same basically the same design he had or it must be i didn't this one was tough because every single thing i looked up there were like three other things you had to look up and it was just like getting way too <laughs> that's too much work for this show yeah yeah yeah, yeah no, that's, i was um, like down the rabbit hole that's a yeah. not that's non-entertainment shows yeah, you I could see do that much work. Following. Right. Yeah, there was a lot of data, a lot of information. So I would assume that it's the same. They they describe describe it the same way. It looks Birthing just like tongs. Yeah, I had seen it once. It was not great. Not great. It's supposed to be gentle. Yeah. Yeah, it's right. super gentle. Right. All you're doing is just clamping the head of the baby and pulling. And I mean, that's pulling it out by great. its head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of our obstetric <sighs> colleagues who does listen to the show is. I'm, I'm awaiting your yeah. response. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Oh my God. Could you imagine? Well, anyway. They are brave providers. Vacuums are much better. Think about that. So yeah, those guys, they'll go and they'll have pregnant ladies and they'll do these deliveries and then they've got all those maneuvers set up in their mind. They already know what they're going to do. It's just like, they're just so prepared for it. But then we have a pregnant lady that's going to deliver. We're like, get her the hell out of here. <laughs> well, because we know, we know just enough to know to be right. terrified. That's, we know what could go wrong, but not how to solve it. So, yeah, yeah, so it, it is it nice to have those. leads to many more expletives for me. So the reason Aitken's being mentioned here is, is not for his forceps, although it probably made a lot of deliveries easier. So in this like viral TikTok-y time frame last year, 
uh, it's thought that he was the inventor of the chainsaw. So before mm -hmm. this, apparently people just used saws to cut down trees, and they still do. But um, tried and true. Maybe they use an axe. Yeah. So he, and, but the reason, like we, we kind of hit on on the opening skit, but the reason why he made this was gruesome. Um, Wait, so it what was, opening skit are you talking about? The historical reenactment. Oh well, yeah. The <laughs> thing that we observed happen and yeah. somehow found yeah, yeah. this. The yeah, the yep, USB the drive. transcripts. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so his chainsaw was specifically used to divide the pubic symphysis. So that's the little piece of cartilage in between the pelvic bones. If the pelvic outlet was too narrow to allow a safe delivery. And you don't you don't mean metaphorically divide? No, like actually cut it in half and rip it open. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, the chainsaw. So it was invented about the same time by two different doctors. There's uh, Clay Aiken. No, uh, Dr. Aiken. <laughs> <laughs> and then an orthopedist by the name of Dr. James Jeffrey. So I think Aitken was the first to publish it. So he published it in his own journal, Aitken's Principles of Midwifery or Purpural Medicine. I want my own and journal. I know. You could probably just do it. You know what? Here's what we're going to do. We mm -hmm. are going to bring back zines, but you're, they're your own personalized, hip, cool medical journals. Nice. Like it. I want to get um, the first sponsor is going to be ivermectin. <laughs> <laughs> it, you probably could get it. In 1785, he published this, and he said specifically the saw was designed for pelviotomy, essentially either pelviotomy or symphysiotomy. So you either cut the cartilage in between the pelvis or you cut the pelvic bones. And this, I mean, not to get too great, but this is basically the, the, the front of the pelvis, right? So the... This is the bone that you you can actually feel towards the front of your pelvis. I'm not mm -hmm. going to give you very detailed instructions on how to locate it. Just if you. <laughs> it's a family show. Lo locate mm -hmm. whichever genitalia you may have and go and <laughs> push north of that by a good five centimeters in the hard ridge. Five? That's what you're talking about. Wait, that's probably five yeah. centimeters back from the butthole. Wait. Oh, for, no, wait. No, where no. are you starting? It's in the front. Pubic <laughs> synthesis, Mike. <laughs> no, I know. I'm just. Are you starting from the back or the front? I always, the, the I, I think it's a good rule forward. to start from the front and okay, go forward. Okay, so you're the umbilicus or the belly button. You could just oh, go down from there the belly and go button down. too. Okay, go down from the belly button. Yeah. yeah. It seems. You did about five, roughly. PG, right. Kind of. Well, if you, yeah, like if a girl's ever yeah. been kicked in the crotch, that's where you get kicked. Okay. Very mm -hmm. hey, Thank bit. you. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so this procedure, the symphysiotomy, um, I think it was first at least documented in 1597. So it, it had been in practice for hundreds of years. Um, they use it for breech deliveries, shoulder dystocias. So that means like baby's coming out, you get a head, maybe another arm, but the other shoulder's stuck. Hmm. And th they have maneuvers to do, and that's what the OBs are going through. They're, they're kind of doing their, it's almost like doing Tai Chi. <laughs> <laughs> like all these movements are like, rrr, rrr. they probably all have names. Oh, um, they do, right? That, I mean, I, yeah, I, I remember because those are things that we could theoretically do if, mm -hmm. if we're in yeah, a small we, hospital or out in the middle of nowhere and there's no OB to be found. Yeah, there's I, um, I remember I don't remember the names. Of, like, I remember no, the, I don't like, either, but there's knees all the way knees all the way up, basically like high stack pin delivery yeah, is the way yeah. I will remember it. Yeah. Otherwise, you can like you can like literally try to put your hand around the head of the baby into the birth canal and rotate the baby. Or deliver That's one, one of the Tai Chi moves. I think Mike is talking yep. about. Yep. Yeah, it you just can also... it looks very zen. I mean, no, when you do it, it looks like they're 
MMA fighters yeah. grounding and pounding with this lady's crotch. But like, the idea <laughs> of practicing it, you think like, oh, you know, it's very kind of Zen artful. Yeah. But, right, right. but one of those is you break the baby's clavicles. So you can, you can literally, one thing you can do to compress the shoulders to get them out of the birth canal is, you know, you can put your thumbs in there and actually break the collarbone of the baby one side or both sides so that they're more flexible to try to get, I mean, yeah, this is like one of the most terrifying things in my mind in, in medicine, this shoulder dystocia, because you have a kid that's literally stuck and that the kid doesn't get out then potentially both your patients are going to, are going to maybe die. And like, so yeah, I, the, the, I mean, I think to me, I just wanted to emphasize, I see why they would maybe go to this length to try to resolve this problem because what else do you do? Sure. Well, and this is also explains why we run screaming whenever we have an <laughs> really? imminent delivery to somebody who can help us. It's like, I want to go find, I need to go find my, my specialist colleague who trains in all of these things, as opposed to me reading about it and trying to remember in the heat of the moment, <laughs> yeah, heat of which the moment, Max is in there. to center. The right. You're trying to, you're trying to break the mom's collarbones. You're like, I heard this works. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all I right. Look so his... to that email I will get from her colleague yeah <laughs> so his saw so this is the reason why and again this was just something i thought aitken's saw so although it resembled a chainsaw you know it had the chains on it, it had each of the teeth um it was flexible but it was attached to two essentially handles so to, to cut you just have to pull your hand back and forth almost like you're using a wire to cut something and that's what the the i think it's giggly or geely saw jiggly that Giggly, yeah. So that essentially is the same thing. That was just a like a coarse wire. This, you know, they thought there was just a little bit more precision with a cut. Said it was a little bit more humane, less painful. <laughs> it's the <a>, kinder, <laughs> gentler saw. Kind, so same physiotomy. Saw. Yeah. So <laughs> what they're doing, they're trying to increase the pelvic diameter to get these potentially stuck babies out. From research, it looks like they only get about two centimeters. Maybe that's all you need. There's tons of risks. In complications. That's what, that's so, like less than an inch. Right. That's what I was thinking. Like, well, I guess if you're stuck, you're like almost there. Yeah. Yeah. Then, you know, that might be enough, but you know, where, where they're cutting the urethra sits there, the bladder, mm-hmm. so you can get fistulas. So an abnormal connection between the skin or some other organ infection, pain, and then long-term walking difficulty, just because your pelvis is you know, cut in half yeah. that oh the God, cartilage yeah. has to potentially heal. So this was for 200 years performed with a knife. So they would just, they would cut through the pubis and then cut through the cartilage with a knife, which Yikes. just sounds like horrifying. But again, they did this for 200 years. You'd be like, <sighs> wouldn't that get out? And women of these days would be like, you know what? I- I'm good. I don't think I want to have a baby. <laughs> I would not blame well, them. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, the I risk of death, the risk of all. Uh, anyway. Fortunately, it goes right most of the time. Well, now it does, yeah. And I don't. maybe it did back then, too. I don't know. And you just hear about the, the bad ones. But when they, when they involve saws, they do stand out in the mind. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> but so doctors in the 17th and 18th century, apparently they were plagued with severe and frequent mechanical issues with childbirth. And they were almost, they were very frequently fatal. Probably because everybody was wearing like 18 different layers of clothing. Maybe. Like it's it's actually probably literally hard just to get get to the birthing process because you've got to, you need tools just to like get off all the equipment everybody is wearing in that time. 
So they look to obtain a more modest growth of the fetus. Uh, you know, you look back, you're like, oh, this sounds kind of ridiculous. But, you know, there are a lot of studies back that not studies, but papers saying that you need to focus on adequate nutrition of the mother or try to induce preterm birth somehow. They tried pelvic uh-huh. fumigation. I don't know what they put DEET up there to like make the babies not grow. They didn't have DEET back then. But. <laughs> so there's, their solution is to make the babies small. Yeah, they wanted the baby small because it's going to come out. I mean, if if they yeah. want to avoid using a chainsaw on somebody, <laughs> I, mean, I suppose. I, I guess I like the thought. Actually, it's pretty <laughs> humane for the time. I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. When you think about the alternative, they did local application of emollients. I love emollients. They would sometimes after a female newborn was born, they would break the their coccyx or their tailbone to prevent this from happening when they reached childbearing age. What? Yeah. I wonder what the thinking was there. I think to make the pelvic opening bigger. Huh. Maybe people back then had huge cacixes. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, they said antepartum coitus. They tried to bang the baby out. That's... <laughs> <laughs> That's... All right. So, uh, so the first symphysiotomy on a living person was uh, done by a guy by the name of Dr. Sego. I think that's how you pronounce that. He's French in 1777. So the procedure had been around a while before Aitken had invented his, his thing. So that's kind of like Aitken's chainsaw, but the real inventor of the chainsaw is a, is a guy by the name of Bernard Heine. Wait, so um, something that was on TikTok is not true? That's what you're telling me? It's, well, it's not I real. mean, not not totally true. <laughs> like Aiken did invent a saw with chains. Um, but what they do is that they associate the picture of Heine's chainsaw with Aiken's chainsaw. Ah. So whatever. It's not a huge deal. Big deal, right? What well, is? You want to attribute things properly. So. Yeah, so his, so his chainsaw, he made it in 1830. So it was quite a while after. Um, but his looks like a chainsaw. So it's got, they called it the endless chainsaw. It's a hand crank, but he's got a blade and the chain just goes around in circles rather than having to use pulleys and cranks. I think I saw a picture. It's like, it's almost, you know, those old school like hand mixers, like the two beaters on it and you can turn mm-hmm. the crank, just replace the beaters with a chainsaw blade. Yep. That's exactly More what it looks like. So that's Heine's chainsaw, not Aiken's. And that was for use on people or that was for use on plants? For people. Yep. So, so Heine, his, his uncle, um, was an orthopedist by the name of Johann Gorg Heine. I don't know. <laughs> you, <laughs> Just make you up know, that bef- name on the spot. I think his nickname you, was you Tachma. Tachma. Tachma Heine. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. And the, I mean, they really should share credit. They're both famous. I mean, you could call it the Aiken Heine chainsaw. I mean, that's really yeah. what we should do. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm sure Heine built it. Oh my God. Uh, slow just, burn. Uh, slow burn for Mike on that one. Uh, so anyway, sorry, I don't want to acknowledge that was actually good. Or Bernhard even. Bernhard Heine. I don't think Aiken you're going really to top Aiken Heine. I know. We really need to get this out there. This is the new TikTok. Aiken Heine's. Oh, got a 12. <laughs> I'm, I'm 12. I'm permanently was, 12. Well, yeah, 13. Yeah, you didn't have that word play at age 12. Come on. No. Did I ever no, tell you that no. the, the best burn ever was by one of our PAs probably about 12 years ago? Somebody that no against longer you? works. Against me, yeah. 
I said something at work and she turns to me and she goes, you know, Mike, you're a 12 year old boy stuck in a 12 year old boy's body. (laughs) 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 Pretty damn good, actually. I think I know who that probably was. Yeah. Anyway, so um, Johann Gorg, again, the the father of orthopedic surgery in Germany, um, he ran this orthopedic institute called the Carolina Institute. And Bernard- In Germany? In Germany, yep. So he- Carolina um, Institute of Orthopedics in Germany. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's uh, Carolina with a K. You wrote it with a C, though. I know. It's probably spell-checked, whatever. Well, a lot of our names come from somewhere else. I mean, we didn't, you Mm -hmm. know, New York- like the first guy settles in the the southeast of the country, and they're like, "I'm gonna call this this place Carolina." <laughs> <laughs> I ain't never heard that word before, but I. <laughs> and he spelled it with a C instead of a K. With a C. So, yeah. Okay, I get it. Damn it. Anyway, so he was never a physician. They they have him listed as a doctor, but never was. He was a tech that worked at this orthopedic institute, mm-hmm. made this chainsaw, and apparently, like, became very famous in the. I guess, orthopedic or surgical world, had tons of awards for inventing this because they started using that in amputations. They could I'm sure. amputate way faster with that chainsaw. And it was weird too, because it looks like they use it, it's like a single user. They have a like a shoulder strap. The, the butt of the chainsaw sits against your sternum and then you just kind of lean and crank. Hmm. That's um, interesting. <sighs> Let's remind so, everybody, this is still the pre-anesthetic era, right? So. Yeah, still pre-anesthetic. So um, he called his invention the osteotome, essentially just bone cutter. A funny aside, I mean, there's a this is where like the deep dives happen. So I'm reading this stuff about Bernard, Bernard Heine, and like then you got to do some research. Like, was he a physician? Was he not a physician? Um, you can't really tell for sure. It looks like he probably wasn't. I think Nicholas, one of the Russian czars, and I don't know which czar that would have been at this time. And he mm, wanted him to be the like. Sure I think that's. It's either Ooh, one or two. Is, gotta be the 18, first, I think. So he wanted him to be like the orthopedist of Russia, like, I don't know, like the orthopedic surgeon general. I don't know. Apparently that was a thing back then, but he turned it down because he wasn't a physician. Hmm. And so his his uncle, Johan, 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 um, the, had guy, a daughter, the, the uncle is the is father the of orthopedic German yep. surgery. So it and it sounds like the reason why he did all of this is because he wanted to gain favor from his uncle so he could marry his uncle's daughter, which would be his cousin. Nice. And that's when I stopped. I was just like, well, this is just like I could go on forever here. <laughs> hmm. <sighs> Question is, what does our listener want to hear? Does a listener want to hear about this person's probably close yeah. family or <laughs> I think it's about the the stories in the the people, not in the devices. Mm, true so yeah so that image of the first chainsaw has been attributed to Aiken again it's Heine's design 45 years after Aiken developed his but I'm sure again drew some some inspiration from his in 1905 the the San Francisco logger apparently had seen the design of this chainsaw and he thought it could be used to cut wood so he registered the first infinite chainsaw I think it go into the Mobius chainsaw that was later Samuel Benz, 1905. First patent. You can actually pull up the patent. It's kind of cool. Hmm. So 1905. And then so 1926, the first electric chainsaw that moved into the production line was by Andreas Steele, S-T-I-H-L, still around today. I've seen it. Yeah. So they're still a big deal. They were back then. 
Um, it was really heavy, bulky. Uh, it had to be operated by two people. But again, that was all based on this initial guy seeing well, designs for it. Oh, I was going to say, I, I just thought that was general for the technology of the day. I mean, the first cell phone needed to be operated by two people and was too big to carry by yourself. Right. <laughs> yep. Steam right. powered pretty much. Yeah. And this one was electric, so they must have had, yeah, there's no steam chainsaws. That's cutting edge, cutting edge at the time, right? I'm sure they were all excited about their new tech. Mm-hmm. So this symphysiotomy, again, people would argue that it saved a lot of babies, potentially saved a lot of mothers, but it was pretty much rendered obsolete after the widespread adoption of cesarean sections. Mm-hmm. We think about C-sections though, like they've literally been performed for millennia. The So I think one of the first recorded C-sections was uh, 1030 BC, mm-hmm. um, like in hieroglyphs. They have somebody like cutting baby out. It usually didn't end well for either patient. That's harder to write in cuneiform. <laughs> uh, everywhere in the world essentially started doing C-sections as it became more safe, except for big parts of rural Africa and then Ireland. There was a big class action lawsuit. There was about 1,500 women that were unknowingly you know, not consented for the procedure, but they had some physiotomies between 1944 and 1987. Like, Yikes. We have been alive what? while they were doing this in the developed world. <laughs> that, but the, Ireland in 1987. Well, I guess it might have still. That's. Oh, yeah. What? No, they were developed. Yeah. Why? So, well, there was a Why reason. Are they still yeah. doing this. So, there was a study in 2012 into the practice of symphysiotomy and why they may have done it. And they said it had a lot to do with the Catholic Church. So, mm. yeah, symphysiotomies were encouraged, if not insisted upon, Why? because of the Catholic aversion to C-sections. But why, why are Catholics against C-sections? See, this is one of the other deep dives. Like, I didn't, it's <laughs> apparently, it's no, no, unnatural. It seems like something you just gloss over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, unnatural, you know, like C-sections are unnatural. It's, you should have a natural birth. So. Oh, but cutting the, the pelvis is totally natural. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah, I, again, it didn't make any sense as I'm reading this, like how in the world did this go on? And apparently um, there were two, ministers of health. It, it, actually, there was one in Spain too, um, but within Ireland that were pro symphysiotomy, anti-C-section. So they were just like these huge, you know, the church push, the big government uh, healthcare medicine push to not do C-sections. I even read some reports that they would, <sighs> if you absolutely had to, you'd get a C-section, but at the same time they would do a symphysiotomy to ensure that the next birth could be vaginal. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, those two bones are joined by this incredibly strong set of ligaments normally with a tiny, tiny gap. Mm-hmm. And so you would think that would never heal correctly because ligaments don't. I mean, if they're completely cut, they don't heal right. They don't heal. So, I mean, it would, you're just essentially walking around with an unstable pelvis held together by scar tissue after that. Yeah. They actually, there was a, an article I, I read. Yeah. They interviewed some of the people that had it done. And again, it was one of those, maybe they're saying like, oh, this is implied emergency consent. Like we have to go do this procedure. Otherwise baby's going to die or whatever. But they said that they were in labor. Everyone seemed fine. You know, the, the doctor would go down. She wouldn't be seeing anything that was going on. They would just feel a pop and then like not think anything of it, but then they'd be 
in the hospital for weeks afterward, couldn't walk. They had chronic pain, incontinence. And then some of the women that found out, because some people, some women didn't even know it happened. Tons of psychological issues and mm. yeah, mm. pretty bad. Man. I know. I know. But, but, <laughs> so the flip side is that the, the mortality rate, so in 1865, when they're still doing this procedure, the mortality rate for a C-section was 85%. Yeah. Which so is out. I mean, yeah. High. Yeah. It's yeah, really high. Mostly sepsis or infection and it's, blood loss yeah, in there yeah, too. Yeah, probably sure. blood loss. Mm-hmm. Well, and as you look at the history of the C-section too, like the incisions became different because we think of the fan and steel incision now. The low, the low across like the horizontal incision is, I guess, as opposed to the all up and down. Right. Well, that's yeah, that's like probably a lot of up and down five incisions. generations of of surge or five generations of or iterations of in uh, a way to do a C-section. So yeah, it's been kind of perfected over time. So the I don't know the first successful C-section in the U.S. was performed by a guy named Jesse Bennett, Doctor Jesse Bennett in Virginia in 1794. Um, did it on his wife. Wow. Oh jeez. Jesse Bennett sounds like a character on a soap opera. Yeah, right. <laughs> or like one of those kind of B-level uh, Western outlaws. Josie Wales? Yeah, Josie Wales and Jesse Bennett. You saying he's B-level? No, I'm just saying like that name, you know, like Jesse Bennett. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, his wife apparently like was having a hard time with labor. He was going to run to go get an obstetrician. He's like, ah, you know what? You're going to, this is going to end poorly, so I have to do it. Did it. You know, baby was born. Everything was fine. Didn't mention anything about it until after his death. Um, he had written some stuff in the journal. He's like, I'm not going to. I'm taking this to my grave. I'm not going to tell anyone I did this because I'm, I'm going to think that you're going to think you could do it. And um, nobody's going to believe me if I said it anyway. Why does your child have such a peculiarly round head? I swear. <laughs> he was pulled from his mother's umbilicus through an incision, <laughs> vertically oriented. I mean, <laughs> right? He should have. In the 1700s, I could see where this would be a viable discussion. But but not in 1987. I mean that right. Except <laughs> in Africa, there's another study I looked at. All these are in like you know really old but peer reviewed journals. I can't remember what this one. This might have been JAMA maybe. Um, but in 1986, the mortality rate for a C-section in Africa was 1.8 percent. That's uh, maternal mortality. Um, the mortality rate of symphysiotomy, which they were still doing, was 0.2 percent. Hmm. That's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge difference. Those are, those are numbers. Those are real yeah, numbers. Yeah. So, you know, the, I think even back then, you know, like big governing bodies of medicine were suggesting that C sections were probably not good to do in Africa. And they were still advocating for some physiotomy, even up into the 90s. Hmm. I can, I can only imagine it probably has to do with whatever resources you have. Oh, yeah. So I'm sure you don't want to do a C section, a non sterile OR. And yeah. 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 I mean, a cesarean section is a, it's a yeah. It's a surgery that requires a high degree of expertise and coordination, and that is true, quite, That is the quite. first surgery I was a part of. Yeah, I did my rotation and was surprised on the spot that I was the overnight call. Didn't have anything prepared, <laughs> but of course, oh, they, no. we ended up having to do a C-section. So the first time I've ever been in a surgical procedure at all. I mean, I've seen some things here and there at this point uh, between medical student and uh, and times before that, and. 
I remember the disconnect of standing there in the surgical field, trying not to touch anything where the patient had full spinal anesthesia, so couldn't feel anything, you know, basically from chest down so that they could do the procedure. And it was so odd to watch it happen while this patient was having a conversation with her significant other, like it was right. coffee or, you know, just out for a good, good chat. And as they were renting, renting the uterus out and baby, and that was, <laughs> that was a surreal moment I will never forget. Yeah. Yeah. Was it a crash C-section or was it nope, a little nope. bit more planned? I think it was more planned. It was like towards the evening. I don't know. Yeah. I remember it's in my OB rotation. I, I witnessed that like I wasn't, I was peripheral because I would have been in the way, but a true crash C-section, I have never seen a team of people move that quickly. Yeah. I and, saw one of that. Those. I mean, you just kind of in awe and you know, you know, we're all emergency medicine providers. So something bad happens in our world. Like the whole department runs. We'll, we'll never have anything on a crash OB team. I mean, that was crazy. They just like, just, it was so fast. I was like, holy, where are they going? And then, oh, wow, they're already, oh, it's out. <laughs> I mean, that's what it felt I, like. Yep, I mean, true. just, true. just, but I mean, the, the degree of coordination between the, the doctors and nurses and, and anesthesia and such were, is, it's incredible. So yeah, this, right, the modern cesarean section is not anything like what we're talking about here, but again, 1987. I, <laughs> that doesn't it's feel like, like a long our time lifetime. ago. It's our lifetime. Mm-hmm. I think what Mike's trying to say with this whole episode is how much we appreciate our OBGYN colleagues. Yes, Absolutely. that's number one. Number two, Aitken did not probably develop a prototype of the chainsaw that we endure or love today. Yeah, but still, the chainsaw was essentially designed to rip apart a lady's pelvis so she could have a baby. Without cutting open her abdomen, because she would most surely die. Well, I, for one, will definitely never look at a lumberjack competition the same way. Who would have thought that such a benign-sounding device could have such a dark backstory? It's a wonder that chainsaws are popular in modern culture at all. Maybe that should be revisited. Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, and Leatherface are enjoying an evening chat and discussion of their particular crafts. I think you're just limiting yourself, Jason. I know the machete has classic appeal and it's simple to use, but where's the style and panache? You just swing it and that's it. I don't feel limited by it. Sometimes I improvise. It's not always the machete. I've tried knives and even my bare hands. I just keep coming back to the machete. It's just my thing. I know you all have the knife hands and whatnot. We can't all have knife hands. I'm just saying that it it could be more than the weapon. I feel like you'd be even more successful if if you considered dream manipulation. Always with the dream stuff. Now that lacks panache. I feel like it limits you a bit. It's almost a bit too easy. You can bounce in and out of dreams. Where's the challenge in that? With good old-fashioned hand weapons, I feel like there's a sense of realism. It makes me all the more frightening. Well, Well, we'll have to agree to disagree, I guess. Wait, I forgot you were here, Leatherface. What do you think? Who's got the better approach? Chainsaw! Whoa, dude. Yeah, yeah, not cool, man. Do you know where that thing came from? The chainsaw has a really troubling past. You can't even imagine. It was developed to help with childbirth, but exists as a symbol for horrific medical ills that were perpetuated well beyond any necessary time of need. I know, right? 
Maybe have some tact in your choices and be aware of history. Yeah, dude, you gotta read a book now and again. Fernsaw. Yeah, I know. Chainsaw. We're, we're just saying you should be aware of the cultural context of your weapon. Alright, devil's advocate here. But I suppose if he knows the history of the device and still chooses to use a chainsaw, doesn't that make him more horrific? No, no. It's just problematic for me. I'm just not comfortable with the implications. I think I think you can do better, that's all. Ashamed. Hey, it's alright. You didn't know. Come on. Let's go find you a new signature weapon. Hey, you want to go to the hardware store, buddy? Hardware store! Alright, I'll drive. Say, uh, Leatherface? Mm. Yeah, can we freshen up your mask? It's getting a bit of a funk. We can make a stop on the way. New mask, new me. Way to do better. I'm really proud of him. He's grown so much as a person. Me too. Me too. And that is all we have for today. We appreciate everyone listening and love to hear from all of you out there. If you'd like to send us a message or provide feedback, we can be reached through our website, www.poorhistorianspod.com. There you will find links to all of our social media sites. We do take emails at poorhistorianspod at gmail.com, and we respond to all posts on our various social media accounts. If you're old-fashioned, well, it's frankly just harder to communicate. So try typing an email. It is a 21st century after all. I'll talk to you, Mom. Those are pretty spot on. Accents. I am very proud of those. Except accents, for the very actually. end, <laughs> the very end. Yeah, you know, Aaron kind of gravitates toward the Finnish or the <laughs> Scandinavian, and then you yeah. you, you, you did a little groove from. <laughs> it migrates. Yeah. For that, I was like, I'm listening to two Scottish people talk. I yeah, it, it did. I'm going to have some yeah. of our best accent work. I, I I'm going to yeah. I'm going to go on a limb. Yeah, Max, that was that was really good. Have you guys ever seen uh, the Secret of Roan Inish? <clears throat> yes. Yeah, I think or, that's one of the best kids' movies ever. And, is it in and it? I learned everything I need to know by reading Inish. Train Spotting. You seen oh, okay, Ron Inish in it? <laughs> All right, let's go to the welcome segment. <laughs> let's do the whole thing this way. You guys are really good. <laughs> really good at your accents. <laughs> <laughs> What's this Finnish person doing in Upper Scotland? I'm an immigrant from Sweden. <laughs> Nice. We'll do the welcome segment. <laughs> Is she sending nice. you letters? Uh, no, but she's gr- she grumbles whenever I call. Um, like she doesn't like her cell phone. She doesn't want it. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. She just doesn't want to talk. She's like, just text me, Max. What do you need? Do you need money? There is zero <laughs> chance that she would find a text. <laughs> My dad started texting a year and a half ago, but he oh, quickly that- found emojis. I was very proud of him. Yeah, well, maybe the keyboard. He hit that button. He can't get the keyboard back. <laughs> <laughs> My mom puts like it's tons of emojis and everything. 
I'm trying to get him to use maps. They'll, they'll, I mean, like you can just tell the phone where you want to go and then the phone will tell you. Quest directions. No, what they do is they just, they'll just, they'll open the maps and then they'll just move the map with their finger so they can follow. They're like, oh, it's like a map I can read. I'm like, it's like a map that's too small to read. You can't read. (laughs) That's worse than paper paper. I'm like, well, yeah, you're doing it wrong. 